Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today in the show, we have the head women's lacrosse coach at Rutgers University, Laura Brand Sias. Coach Brand graduated from Rutgers University and is now on her 17th season as the head coach of Rutgers Lacrosse. Since taking over as head coach in 2003, her teams have appeared in six Big Ten Conference Championships. Coach Brand came to Rutgers after one season as head coach at Fairfield University, where she led the Stags to a 10-7 overall record. Coach Brand and I got a chance to talk about a lot of things like her time as the youngest head coach in all of the NCAA, some of her trials by fire, communicating her expectations, asking more of her players, and much more. Here's my interview with Coach Brand. Coach Brand, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, but um, let's get started like I always do. How did you get started playing lacrosse? Uh, lacrosse goes way back. Um, I'm originally from Canada, so there was a lot of history there uh, with my family playing lacrosse. As many people may not know, that lacrosse is the national summer sport in Canada, but right. I did move to um, suburbs of Philadelphia when I was younger uh, with my dad's job. So grew up in a town called Radnor. Lacrosse is a really big sport in that area. So spent all of my school years playing lacrosse and, you know, had the chance to continue on at Rutgers and jumped at that opportunity. So that's how it all began. So uh, did you play any other sports while you were growing up? Uh, dabbled in soccer a little bit, but mainly field hockey, lacrosse, and then ran winter track. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. So then at at what point did you start thinking about lacrosse might be the thing that you wanted to play at the next level that you wanted to play in college? Yeah, it it actually can be attributed to one of my high school coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually was, uh, primarily a field hockey player. That was my best sport growing up. But she saw potential in me, um, you know, continuing my lacrosse career at the collegiate level and really pushed me to pursue that and helped me with, you know, my college contacts and and things like that. And and when I was in high school, there wasn't uh, a club scene like there is right now. You basically played on Memorial Day weekend and went to the camps and clinics at any schools that you were interested in. There wasn't a, you know, a summer circuit or anything like that. So there was limited opportunity to be exposed to college coaches. So she really helped me, uh, and then it just went on from there. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and I'm curious, did did, uh, did you feel like, um, I guess specifically your, your field hockey experience, did you feel like that helped with your lacrosse game at all? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely very different sports. I think lacrosse is a much more fast-paced style of play, and mm-hmm. 
you know, I don't know if it was the part of me, the Canadian in me that just always grew up around ice hockey and just kind of was naturally drawn towards field hockey um, as the next best option for me. But, um, you know, certainly the runner in me really appreciated that aspect of the game of lacrosse. So, you know, I, I, as I got more and more invested in lacrosse, it definitely took, you know, came to the forefront. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. So, so how did you end up at Rutgers? Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, you know, I was being recruited by some other schools. Rutgers was not one of them. Um, Hmm. one of my really close high school teammates was being recruited by Rutgers and she just raved about the campus and, um, you know, we grew up in an area with not a ton of diversity, and that was something that I was really looking for in a college experience was right. to just break out of a little bit of the mold that I had been brought up in. And, you know, the way she spoke of Rutgers, that, that really, you know, it piqued my interest quite mm-hmm. a bit. So made contact with the coach at the time, um, you know, visited campus um, and was actually given an opportunity. Their recruiting cycle was done. Um, you know, and like I said, I had opportunities at other schools, but I had decided that Rutgers was where I wanted to be. Um, so I was given an opportunity for a recruited, uh, walk on. Um, Hmm. so I jumped at it, you know, luckily my parents (laughs) supported me in that and and helped me out with that decision. Um, you know, and then it just, that was where I ended up and, right. you know, haven't regretted it for a day since. Right, right. And so, so I'm curious, um, you know, especially that, that first couple semester when you when you went away to a different school, did you feel like it was a fit right away or were there any sort of transition issues? Um, for me, it was a fit right away. I mean, I was that kid that never wanted to go home in the summer and, you know, <laughs> I, I took summer classes. I had internships. Um, right. I lived here during the summer. You know, I would take the train into the city for an internship and then take classes at night. So, um, you know, it was just a perfect fit for me. Um, right. just the mix of city and suburb and, like I said, the diversity was a big, uh, you know, a big draw for me, just being able to see, you know, different people from different backgrounds and, mm-hmm. you know, cultures and, and really getting exposed to that. Right. So, uh, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but, uh, you know, when you're talking to, um, you know, potential freshmen or maybe seniors or juniors in, in high school, um, you know, given that you found a school that fit you so well, when you talk to them, what do you tell them to look for? How do you make sure that, um, you know, they make a decision that's going to work for them as well as it worked for you? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things is that making sure you're choosing a school that you could live and survive and be happy if lacrosse wasn't a part of your experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you hate to see kids that solely make decisions based on lacrosse because that aspect can change. I mean, coaching staffs can change. Your team changes every year. Um, so you want to make sure that you're in a place that checks all the other boxes, that it has your academic needs, that it's in an environment that you want, it has all the opportunities that you want, um, you know, that it's, are you someone who wants more of a city environment, a mix of two, or, you know, a small suburban environment. Um, right. So those are all the things we really push, um, you know, and then one of the biggest things we say is that, you know, the the relationships that you're going to make here are going to be some of the most important relationships in your life. So you want to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that you know, you know, are going to be an extension of you for, for the rest of your life. Right. Gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so, uh, so what made you want to start coaching? Uh, it definitely wasn't something I was considering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I originally wanted to be a criminal psychologist. So, 
huh. that was a pretty specific <laughs> specific <laughs> yeah. path that I was going down. Um, you know, so I was a psych social double major all through college. Um, you know, and and dabbled a little bit in in some you know intern experiences that would take me down that path, and it actually just helped me re- realize that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Hmm. So my plan after college was really to, um, you know, to just get involved in the pharmaceutical industry, um, try and find a a position there to just get my feet wet. Uh, So I was interviewing um, and my coach at the time, you know, had reached out to me. I had moved home. I was interviewing for jobs and she had, you know, just reached out and said, listen, I have, you know, my assistant job uh, position is open. Uh, it only pays $1,500. So, you know, but if you want it, it's yours. And I said, yes, right away. didn't even think about it. I don't know. You know, I guess it was always in me that I did want to do this. I just hadn't realized it. Hmm. Um, you know, which is always interesting when I tell that story to any of, you know, our players that are looking to get into coaching. I sound like that, you know, that old, I, I, climbed uphill both ways through a snowstorm like I only made $1,500 when I first started Um, but so I moved moved back up to campus Um, I found a job in pharmaceuticals so I would do that from 730 to 330 every day Hmm. and then I would drive back to campus uh, for practice every afternoon so that was my life for a little while and then fortunately the position went full-time and then you know I was able to focus on this full-time as gotcha. an assistant. Gotcha. And so was it right away that you started thinking about this as a potential career or did that, that come over time? Uh, I mean, it definitely felt like the right fit and there wasn't anything pulling me away from it. So right. it was something I was, I was pretty invested in from day one. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that, that first coaching job was as an assistant at, at Rutgers. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. So what that first year, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned? What were some of the biggest surprises? Um, I mean, my first year as an assistant was interesting because a lot of the players on the team I had played with. Right. So it was that, you know, that dynamic of trying to, you know, shift their focus to me as a coach, but also recognizing that I still needed to hold on to some of those relationships and not just kind of, you know, quit them cold Turkey, but, Mm -hmm. you know, having that, that good balance of recognizing what's appropriate and what's not, but it was a good dynamic. You know, it allowed me to be a good sounding board for the players and, and be a a good go between, between them and the head coach. And, um, you know, so it was, it was valuable in that, in that way. And obviously I was young, I was straight out of college. So, you know, it it was a good learning experience to, to have to find that balance. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hear that question or I hear that answer a lot from coaches who, you know, played on the team before and then went to be an assistant coach the next year. How did you, can you talk a little bit more about how you navigated that, that problem? Um, yeah, you're now you're forcing me to think back a really long time ago. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, it was more so just, you know, continuing to be the same personality that I had been and being open with them so that they felt comfortable communicating things with me. But certainly I, I removed myself, um, you know, from any type of social scene or, or anything right. like that. And, was just trying to transition myself into more of that um, mentor and sounding board as opposed to a friend and teammate. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, so yeah. So, so tell us about how the position at Fairfield came about. 
Yeah, so one of my former teammates at Rutgers, um, she was actually the head coach at Marist at the time, mm-hmm. um, and she had been asked by Fairfield to assist them in their head coaching search. Um, so she reached out to me, really pushed the opportunity. Um, you know, I went into it not knowing much about Fairfield or what the program had to offer or the school, um, you know, but went into it eyes wide open and, mm-hmm. and had the opportunity to interview there. And it was a great experience. And I think the main thing was that it was drastically different from the experience at Rutgers, um, right. going from a big state school to, you know, a smaller Jesuit institution and, you know, kind of going back to an area that was similar to the one that I had grown up in. Um, right. So I just thought it was a, it was a really interesting dynamic and challenge for me and certainly came with a lot of apprehension. I mean, at the time I was only, you know, I was 23 years old, so I was going to be, I ended up being the youngest coach in division one in any sport. Um, so I was a baby, (laughs) you know, so, uh, definitely scared and, and nervous, but, you know, I've always been someone that just kind of jumps in head first. So, um, So jumped at the opportunity. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess the same question here. What, what were some of the biggest surprises the, that, that first year as a head coach, especially, um, you know, you said you were the, the, the youngest head coach across all sports in the NCAA. Is that right? Yeah. 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 For about three months. And then, and then Courtney, uh, Courtney Connor, uh, Courtney Martinez Connor got hired and then, <laughs> and then she was younger <laughs> you than me. So. Away from you, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, one of the stories that I will always remember is our first away trip at Fairfield. Um, they had a, you know, they had a, a team driver that drove the team bus all the time and mm-hmm. the girls were all on the bus waiting for me and I got on the bus and, you know, I had them do the head count and I was like, okay, we're ready to go. And he's like, well, we need to wait for the coach. And I'm like, that's me. I, I'm the coach. And he was like, no, no, you're not. So I had to go back into the building and get my staff ID and show oh, it wow. to him and then he he finally he finally agreed to to drive us to our game <laughs> so uh yeah so i mean i guess in terms of in terms of moving from you know an assistant coach an assistant coach at your alma mater where you're comfortable and now you're going to a school um you know that uh i guess you said the area is close uh or is similar to the area that you grew up in um, but it's a completely different school. Um, what were some of the lessons that you learned that first year as as the head coach? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I will always value about my time at Fairfield is that, I mean, it was re- it was really trial by fire, but that was such a valuable thing for me. I mean, they handed me the keys and mm-hmm. they basically said, here's your office. Everything you need is in there. Figure it out. Um, right. And mm-hmm. You know, that can be a scary thing, but it also forced me into a place where I just had to grind and figure it out. And I didn't have time to be nervous about anything. Um, You know, I think one of the most, you know, calming things was the first day of practice and how nervous the team was. You know, they had this perception that I was coming from this bigger state school and, you know, was I going to, you know, was I going to think they were good enough? And Mm -hmm. so all the fears that I was having were the same fears that they were having. And that put me at ease right from day one, Um, you know, and I was able to to 
you know, grab, grab a great assistant, um, who had been interviewing for the position before I got hired and she was just an awesome fit for me. So it Mm. just, it just all worked out really, really well. Right. Right. And did you have any issues or did you have any, some of those, the same issues that maybe you had at Rutgers where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of that, that, uh, uh, Jimmy V speech where, you know, he says, listen, I was 21 years old. The kids I was coaching was 19. Uh, you know, you were, you were 23 years, you were 23 years old. You know, the kids that you were coaching were, you know, 19 to 21. Did you have any issues? Um, you know, um, did you have any issues with your age or, you know, feeling so close to the age of your players or was that just not a problem? Cause it's not a school that you were from. Well, it, it wasn't an issue with the players. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I tried really hard to separate myself. I mean, I even went so far. I mean, I was teased a lot in my early years in the coaching circles because I was fully dressed up on the sidelines. I mean, black right. pants, long, you know, long wool red coat, like the right. whole deal, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to separate myself from the players. And, you know, it's to this day, like my players still call me coach. We're not on a first name basis just because from day one, I was like, I'm 23. I need to separate myself. They're not calling me by my first name. They have to call me coach. Right. Um, so with the players, it really honestly was never an issue. Mm-hmm. It probably was more so, you know, my age and how it reflected to other people in the industry or other people on staff um, you know, that looked at me as, as a kid, but with the team, it was, it was never, never an issue. Right. Right. And, and so I guess for, for younger coaches, how did you deal with those issues, um, you know, to other people that were looking at you as, you know, just, a just another young person? Yeah. And one thing that, you know, I, I would imagine has to be really tough to navigate as a young coach these days is that, you know, that, that question of, is it more important for me to be their coach or to be more of their friend? And, you know, fortunately for me, I started coaching in a time where that, you know, quote unquote, old school coaching style was still highly valued. And, and mm-hmm. I think that, that the definition of that has, has changed. Um, you know, so I, I see in a lot of young coaches and whether it's my assistants or coaches at other places is just that struggle of, you know, separating that coach and that friendship piece and then, you know, having to navigate when could it get me into trouble and when can it start to affect my ability to, to effectively coach them if I have too much of a personal relationship with them. So that's something that I'm glad I didn't have to navigate. Um, Mm -hmm. It was more acceptable when I started to be a hard nosed black and white coach. Um, And I think now that, 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 you know, that's, that's straying away from that a little bit. And I mean, that's something for me that that's been coaching so long is, you know, I'm, I'm constantly having to evolve and reevaluate and, and, you know, tweak the way that I am, um, right. you know, given the, the current forecast of student athletes. But, um, you know, I, I would imagine that that has to be pretty tough and at times maybe a little bit of an identity crisis for, for young coaches. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so, so tell us about your decision um, to come back to Rutgers as head coach. Yeah, I mean, I was super fortunate uh, that the opportunity presented itself, you know, only 12 months after I started at Fairfield. And, right. uh, you know, I had, I had made it clear to the Rutgers administration that I would love to be back, back at Rutgers in, in some capacity moving mm-hmm. forward. 
Um, you know, so when the opportunity presented itself, I, I jumped on it and, you know, pre- prepared as best as I possibly could and right. did the best I could to, you know, to have a good interview. And, and I just lucked out that, that everything fell into place. So that first year that you came back, um, talk about how did you envision sort of setting the tone? Was it, uh, especially because, you know, you were familiar with the way things went in the program before you got there. Did you, did you approach it as, you know, I'm going to set the tone that I want, or was it more of a continuation of the way Rutgers lacrosse have been played? Yeah. And fortunately for me, um, all the players that I had played with were gone. Um, right. you know, so it was, it was long enough that they were gone. And, and some of the players that I had been an assistant coach for were still there. And so I had, you know, some firsthand insight into some of the, the struggles and concerns that they had had during my time as an assistant. So I really went in with, you know, my own philosophy, um, you know, and recognized that it was time for, for some change and, and some things to be done differently. And certainly, um, you know, my predecessor had brought in a, a great group of talent and, you know, it was just a matter of putting everything together. So, you know, it was one of those like fairy tale situations where you come in in your first year and, you know, the kids just needed a little something different and, and it all, you know, worked out. And that first year was, was a really solid year for us. So right. I was lucky in that respect. Right. And so as a coach, you know, coming in and you know, you're thinking like, Hey, I, I have a little bit of a different philosophy that I want to set. Um, you know, how did you go about sort of communicating that to, to the team? Uh, you know, team meetings and, you know, I'm, I'm always big on putting everything, you know, out there in a structured way. And, you know, we, we laid out all the, the codes and standards for the program and what the expectations were going to be. And I was, you know, clear with them on what my expectations were going to be. And luckily for me, they were a group that was thirsty for change. So they weren't really scared for change. Mm -hmm. They were really excited about change. So, Mm Again, that was, you know, I was lucky, lucky to walk into something like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, uh, and so what, what season is this for you? Is this, uh, 15? Did I see that right? Am I remembering? Oh gosh. That <laughs> might, yeah, that might, it might be. That might <laughs> yeah, be something it. like that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so talk about, um, how has your approach changed since that first year, uh, to now, do you still handle things the same way in terms of, you know, for, for new players that might be coming onto the team, how do you make sure that they understand the philosophy and the values uh, of Rutgers lacrosse? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that I do, uh, you know, have the same approach with, and there's a lot of things that I just will stick by for mm-hmm. my career. And, you know, those are my core values. And, you know, as my players know, and any recruit, like I always say to them, like, if, if you want a coach, that's going to tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. I'm not your girl. Right. <laughs> I'm not the one right. that you want to, you know, that you want to be with. Um, but, you know, I'm very black and white in the things that are important to me. Um, mm-hmm. I lay it all out on the table. Um, you know, I don't, I don't keep much in, so they right. all know exactly what my expectations are. And, um, you know, in turn, you know, I've made a lot of adjustments in, ter- in terms of who I am and, and have tried to make adjustments relative to, you know, the culture and the vibe of, of athletes as time goes on and, you know, spending a lot more time with players off the field and, um, you know, so that they're in a better spot to be able to handle who I am on the field. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you mentioned, um, you know, one of the things you did was, uh, you know, you held team meetings. Um, are those 
are those mostly team meetings or do you do one-on-one team meetings? How do, how do you usually, or one-on-one meetings, how do you usually handle that? Yeah, so we, we have a mix of everything. Um, we do team meetings pretty consistently, but I have um, a set schedule, <laughs> excuse me, with the team. Uh, I do bi-weekly one-on-one meetings. Okay. So every player has a set one-on-one meeting with me every other week, um, right. and then it's an open-door policy, so if they need to meet at any other time, they, they definitely can, which – you know, this is that's something we actually put into place this year where I've always had an open door policy, but mm-hmm. you know, it's it's hard for a lot of these kids to initiate those conversations. So right. this year we set up those one on one meetings. Um and it's actually turned into I mean, it ends up that I'm probably talking to them or meeting with them once a week instead of bi weekly. But hmm. um so that that is a a big chunk of my time. Um right. you know, but like right. I said, I, I wanted to give them that investment off the field so that I could in turn ask more of them on the field. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I guess for, for coaches listening, um, those one-on-one meetings, can you talk about, um, what do those turn into? What do you usually end up talking about? Uh, I mean, it depends on the player. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, some, it can be maybe a quick, just, you know, touching base about X's nose and where they stand, um, you know, really, really letting them know what they need to do to get on the field or get more playing time or where they need to improve their game. And then it typically evolves into, you know, what's going on with your roommates and how are your classes and how's your family and, right. you know, how's your boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever might be the case. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're all different. Um, some are really long, some are just quick check-ins. It depends on what, you know, what's going on in that player's life at the time. And you mentioned, uh, you know, you, uh, you've realized that this allows you to ask more of them while, while they're on the field. Um, can you talk about why that, that allows you to ask more of them? Uh, I mean, there are definitely always going to be players that have a tough time when it comes to accountability, um, you know, or tough coaching or, or, you know, potentially being called out in practices and things like that. And, and I think what what this dynamic is is doing is allowing them to understand that I'm always coming from a good place, hmm. and you know it's developing those that personal side of our relationship so that when we are in practice, they're not just seeing me one way. Um, right. You know, they're seeing other dimensions. Gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, cool. So can you uh, can you walk us through what a what a typical in season practice is like for you guys? Sure. Um, so usually we're going to watch a little bit of film uh, mm-hmm. before we head out to the field, and then we will do a dynamic warm-up. Uh, our captains lead our dynamic warm-up, and then we'll split up. Uh, one of us will take the goalies. Uh, someone else will do stick work. We'll typically split up the group, so we'll have attackers shooting, defenders and middies doing some sort of stick work, and then we'll rotate, get the middies into the shooting drill, the attackers into the passing drill, um, and then we'll head into small-sided stuff. So whether it's one-on-ones, 2v2s, or some side, some sort of you know specific 4v4 drill based on whatever we want to work on, um, and then we'll build up into more you know, half field, full field, or 7v7 situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we always finish practice with eight-minute eights. Uh, so we do eight meters for eight minutes at the end of every practice. Gotcha. And how long are you guys typically out on the field for? 
two hours. Um, I'm not a, I'm not someone who believes in going any longer than two hours. Um, right. I know I start to lose focus, so I can only imagine <laughs> that they are too. So, right. so right. yeah, so our on field time is, is only two hours. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, in terms of what you guys are doing at practice that day, are you, uh, do you have a practice plan that you share with the team? Um, it depends. Uh, you know, it depends on the vibe of the team at that time. Um, if we're a group that doesn't respond well to adversity during a game, we typically won't let them know, um, because we want them to start to, you know, start to have to step up and, and rise to whatever occasion we're presenting them with in a practice. Um, so it varies. Um, you know, it, it, it depends. I mean, a lot of times, you know, we'll have kids that maybe can only do 50% of the reps on a certain day or, or things like that. So we'll let yeah. them, you know, we'll, we'll tell them, Hey, we're going to be doing this and this, you can't do this drill, but you're going to be okay to do this full one. Cause we'll sit you out of this one. Gotcha. Um, things yeah. like that. And, you know, luckily our trainer manages all that during our practice. So we don't have to, but, um, right. it varies. There's not really a, a set philosophy on that necessarily. Gotcha. And when, you and your assistant coaches are thinking about what practice is going to be. How are you guys deciding what you're going to work on, you know, today? Like how are you deciding the drills that you want to focus on? Yeah. So typically we'll sit down at the beginning of a week. Um, and we, we meet every day at 1030 for practice planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll sit down at the beginning of the week and, and write down a full list of all the things that we want to accomplish in that week. And then we'll, you know, then work backwards and kind of slot them into the days where it's appropriate. Um, We also take feedback from our strength and conditioning coach in terms of what day should be, you know, a longer day, what days should be short and more intense, um, you know, and things like that. So we go into our our Monday meetings with all of that information and we're able to, you know, adequately plan out the week. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you mentioned that you, you always start the day um, with watching film, is that film of yourself or is it of an upcoming opponent? It's usually a mix of both. Um, like today we had a game last night, so, Uh, you know, I watched some film last night and then I finished it up this morning and then went right into film on James Madison, uh, who is our next, next opponent. Gotcha. And when you guys are watching film, um, what are you, what are you typically looking for? Are you looking at individual players or are you looking at general team tendencies or is it a mix of both? Yeah, I would say all of the above. Um, you know, we, we divide our focuses amongst the three coaches so that we're, we're able to stay focused and efficient. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll have more of a, a draw control and an offensive focus. Um, my one assistant, she, she's much more focused on the individual skill of midfielders and attackers. And then my other assistant um, is really focused on the defensive game and the goalkeepers. So, you know, we try to we try to divide and conquer uh, mm-hmm. so that we can, you know, be as efficient as possible. Gotcha. And when you are communicating, you know, what you see in the film back to the players, um, how, how do you typically do that? Is that is that game film shared online? Um, are you guys doing it in the locker room, sharing a scattering report? How does that work? Yeah, so we do we do both. Um, we we put all of our game film up on a you know on a web service that all of mm-hmm. our players have a login to, so they can watch. You know, we'll put practice film up there as well, whatever we feel is appropriate at the time. Uh, and then we will do team team sessions. So, you know, a day like tomorrow, we have off today. 
Uh, we had a game yesterday, off today. Day like tomorrow will be review of our game from last night. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll sit, we'll have attack and MIDI film, we'll have D and MIDI film, um, and then we do individual film sessions with players as well throughout the day. Uh, gotcha. And then, you know, we'll we'll use a day to focus on us, and then and then we'll start to move forward, you know, and focus on James Madison and and how we're scouting them and showing film on them and conducting our practices based on our our scouting report. Right. And so, and you mentioned, um, you know, occasionally you will throw in some practice film when it's appropriate. Um, what sort of things are you guys looking at when you do look at practice film? Uh, I mean, one of the biggest things that the players want to see is if we're doing 1v1s, you know, they really want to see how they're doing on their dodges or how they're doing on their 1v1 defense. Gotcha. We have the luxury of having two managers that are at all of our practices, so we're actually able to get a lot of our stuff live-coded, so they're clipping it. Um, hmm. So when we put it up on this shared site, players can actually go in and you know they can watch all their 1v1s and just clip a button and see all the 1v1s um, you know, gotcha. and things like that. So it's, it's a little, again, more efficient for them, which ideally is efficient as we can be as possible since they right. do have a lot of demands on their time. Right. Um, you know, we like to do that. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um, so yeah, so, you know, you as a head coach, you know, you have a game coming up against James Madison or James Madison. What, uh, how are you preparing as a head coach for a game? What, what do you try to get right in your head before the game starts? Yeah. I mean, just being as familiar with our opponent as I possibly can, um, mm. you know, trying to pick up on trends, tendencies, um, you know, I'm always kind of looking at the stats and, and studying them and trying to equate that to what they do on a game-by-game -game basis and just try to evaluate what could be coming at us um, so that I'm prepared for any adjustments that I'm going to have to make in the game. Um, if there's certain personnel that I think maybe aren't starting for us right now, but they might match up well against some of their players, and then that way we're, you know, we've We've got that prepared um, of who we could be rotating in, um, you know, right. also any small sided plays that might beat their defense that maybe aren't part of our normal offensive package, but we're going to go over them in a small sided drill and then we're able to, you know, call that during a game or, you know, draw something up during a timeout. Um, you know, you always want to have a, a game winning goal play in your back right. pocket for, <laughs> for every single game. So right. things like that, um, you know, just prepping, prepping for that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Got it. And, you know, I'm curious about that one is, do you have one game winning goal play that you always have, or is it dependent on the team that you're going to play? Uh, I'm more of a dependent on the team that we're going to play kind of right. person. Um, you know, luckily for us, it worked out for us already this year. Right. Um, we ne we needed that in, in our game against Delaware, and, and we were able to, to draw it up. And, you know, sometimes it's hard because you see something that's going to work really well, and mm -hmm. you use it early on, so then you got to come up with something different <laughs> for right. the end of the game. So, you know, that's where you kind of have to just, you know, be – be a keen observer of the game and, and watching all the tendencies to try and come up with something else. So, right. um, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, cool. So just, uh, just a, a couple more questions, um, you know, for, for recruits or young players that are listening, um, how do you, what do you recommend that they do, um, to stand out or get noticed for, you know, high school kids that are looking to play lacrosse at the next level? I think one of the biggest thing, I mean, it's, it's hard because, you know, with social media these days, you can follow so many kids and it's all about stick tricks and, 
you know, the flashy stuff and the fancy stuff. And, and I think all that stuff's great. You know, I think mm-hmm. there's, there's a definite place for all that. And it showcases people, you know, people's ability to, to handle the ball and, and their skill set. But one of the biggest things is that, you know, when, when kids are provided the opportunity to showcase their athleticism and their competitive nature, they need to really maximize that. So, you know, making sure that attackers are riding the ball nonstop. I mean, that's something that coaches notice, even if you're, you know, maybe you're only putting the ball in the back of the net a little bit and there's another kid who's, you know, scoring eight goals, but they don't ever ride the ball. You score three goals and, you know, you ride every single ball all the way to the opposite restraining line. Those are the kind of things that college coaches are looking for um, right. because I, I don't think that that's something that's consistently, um, you know, consistently pushed at the high school level. So that's mm-hmm. just one thing that you don't have to worry about, um, you know, if you get that player in your program. So just, just the little things, um, right. 50-50 balls, what you're doing off ball, what you're doing to create for your teammates. And, I mean, certainly the most controllable is having your stick in your hand as much as possible, mm-hmm. um, you know, really getting comfortable right and left and getting as many touches as you possibly can. Uh, those are That's always going to be beneficial. Right, right. And so for those for those kids who, um, you know, want to put themselves in front of you, do you uh, do you recommend that they send uh, a highlight reel, full game? Um, you know, what do you typically like to see? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think a highlight reel is is a good option. Um, I mean, just be- being honest for for a lot of us coaches, and particularly the time of the year that we're focusing on recruiting um we're all over the place we're traveling a lot we're heading you know from tournament to tournament we've got a ton of kids to watch so watching a full game isn't going to happen for a lot of people so really that highlight reel is is a good option for us but also showcasing what people what you do when you make a mistake you know it's you don't just want to see you know every time you've scored a goal and and that's the only part of your game that you're showcasing you want to say like like I said, when you missed a shot and it starts going the other way up the field, what are you doing to try and get it back? Right. Um, gotcha. So showing that, you know, diversifying the look a little bit, but clip clipping it is helpful. Um, that mm-hmm. There aren't too many coaches out there that are going to be able to watch a full game. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so obviously the, the players, you know, going to want to, you're obviously going to want to have some good plays on there, but you're probably, it sounds like what you're saying is you're going to want to see longer sequences so that you can see, how the player acts, you know, when they don't have the ball or when they are writing or doing something that, you know, maybe they're, maybe that they typically think people aren't watching them for. Is that, is that right? Right. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and, you know, film is a great way to pique someone's interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mm-hmm. then also want to make sure you're following up with, you know, your schedule, what tournaments they're going to be at and, you know, where, where they can be seen. And I think if kids are really interested in a school, they can do their research and figure out where those coaches are going to be over the summer, what camps they're going to be at, what clinics they're going to be at, um, you know, and and look to look to get themselves there so that they're able to work with those coaches hands on and, and, uh, you know, get seen by them in a smaller environment. Gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, well, listen, coach, um, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was a great conversation, but there's one question that I've asked everybody who's come on the show. Um, what are three things that everyone should be doing every day to get better at whatever it is they do? It doesn't have to just be lacrosse. Um, be thankful, um, be invested and be accountable. I think those are three things that I consistently wake up 
and remind myself I actually have them written in my calendar on a daily basis. So they're, right. they pop up as reminders every single day. Right. Um, you know, and I, I think out of those three, the most important one for me and most people would tell you this about me is that I think being accountable is the number one thing. And being accountable allows you to be thankful and be invested and, and, you right. know, keep, keep your head on straight. And, and, uh, you know, those, those would definitely be my three. Gotcha. That's awesome. Um, well, coach, listen, like I said, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time and coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a traveler club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free. It's easy to use and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.